This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Studies have shown transgender youth face multiple barriers from getting the care that they need. Experts now worry their health and well-being are put at more risk due to recent actions from elected officials. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott is calling on state agencies to investigate gender-affirming care as, quote, child abuse. This comes after a record number of anti-transgender bills were introduced in 2021, targeting bathroom policies and school sports and education. So joining us now to discuss this and more is Tim Wang, Director of Policy and Advocacy at Howard Brown Health. Hi, Tim. Welcome to Reset. Hi, Sasha. Thank you. Also with us is Dr. Aaron Jensen. He's the vice chairman of Lurie Children's Hospital's Psychiatry and Behavioral Health Department. He's also an associate editor of the journal Transgender Health. Hi, Dr. Jansen. Hi, Sasha. Doctor, first, what is gender-affirming care? Gender-affirming care, and I think this is a really important point because people like to define gender-affirming care, however it suits their interests. And what we mean when we say gender-affirming care is that the child should come first. Our primary job is to understand what the child is thinking and feeling and experiencing the world and help support them in understanding their gender identity in a nuanced way and making sure that the systems and structures in their lives, their family, their school, their medical providers understand their needs. What that means for kids who have a gender identity that's incongruent with the sex that they were assigned at birth, it means that we want to support those kids in understanding their gender identity. And for some kids, that means social transition, you know, changing names, pronouns, method of dress. Mm-hmm. For others, it might be medication like puberty blockers or hormones. And for some, it might be surgery as they reach adulthood. You mentioned the definition of gender-affirming care could change depending on who we talk to. Are there misconceptions about gender-affirming care? Absolutely. I think a lot of people come to think that gender-affirming care means hormones for all children on demand, and that's not what is happening in the world that we practice in. Um, all, all that we're doing is trying to understand kids' needs and make informed decisions with children and their families about appropriate evidence-based care that's going to lead to the best possible outcomes. For some kids, that ends up being things like social transition or medical transition, and for others, it's, it's psychotherapy or waiting or uh, a host of other options. Well, given that, doctor, what's your reaction to Governor Abbott's push to investigate this kind of care as child abuse? It's it's so dispiriting. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the most important question to ask, is this policy or is this change helping kids or is it hurting kids? And it's very, very clear from the evidence that we have that this is hurting kids. I can't tell you the number of kids I've had in my office over the past week talking about distress that they have. Is this going to happen here in Illinois? Is this going to happen across the country? What are happening to my friends who are down in Texas? It's so sad to think that one of the most powerful interventions that we have, which is having parents support and love and affirm their children, is being called child abuse. It's, it's just tragic. Tim, what are your thoughts on on the governor's directive? Yeah, I I definitely agree. I was, you know, really saddened and disappointed to hear that, you know, politicians are once again attacking the trans community, this time especially trans youth and spreading a lot of misinformation and fear about what gender-affirming care really is um, that the doctor so eloquently just stated. Um, And it makes me really concerned for, you know, trans youth in Texas and trans youth across the country um, who may lose access to affirming care or other support systems. Um, because providers 
you know, they might be scared or reluctant to offer services following these sorts of directives. Um, you know, we've heard from colleagues who provide gender affirming care in Texas, um, you know, that they have heard of providers who are scared because they don't want to be falsely accused of child abuse. Um, and it creates uh, a chilling effect among service providers uh, that makes it even more difficult for trans youth to get the care that they need. But to, to be clear, Tim, the governor's directive isn't legally binding. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. And thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think it's an important distinction to make, especially when we're talking about uh, the Texas case. Uh, so the opinion by the uh, attorney general and then the letter from Governor Abbott um, these communications are not legally binding, so they don't change existing Texas law. They also don't create new Texas laws around what does and does not constitute child abuse and what needs to be reported. Um, so that's up to the courts to interpret Texas law, as it always has been. And no court in Texas or anywhere in the country, for that matter, has ever ruled that gender affirming care can be considered child abuse. Um, so from the standpoint of you know legal Precedent and law, it's really quite clear that medically necessary gender affirming care is not child abuse. And these communications in Texas um, don't establish any sort of like new legal requirements or obligations. Dr. Jansen, what kind of environment does this kind of rhetoric create for trans youth? It's an it's a environment of fear and uncertainty. It's the idea that things that you hold precious might be taken away from you at any moment um, by people who have never met you uh, and have animus directed towards you. Um, one of the things that we know creates the most distress and long-term negative outcomes for transgender youth is stigma and bias. And when you have the governor of your state telling you that who you are is a problem, that has long-term negative consequences. And it's important to keep in mind that we, as a community of healthcare providers, and just as parents and as community members, we should be doing everything that we can to support kids in understanding who they are and improving their outcomes to the best of our possibilities. Both Lurie Children's Hospital and Howard Brown Health are providers of gender-affirming care. So, Dr. Jansen, Talk to us a bit more about what the process looks like and, and how exactly you help those families navigate their decision-making. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I would really emphasize is that there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to gender care. Right? There are some kids and adolescents who are transgender, who are very clear about their identities, who are functioning beautifully and aren't necessarily in need of any care. And not every kid who is transgendered opts for medical or surgical interventions. But when kids do experience distress, when families are at a loss of what to do in terms of how to best support their kids, we want to make sure that those kids and those families have access to what is the most up-to-date evidence-based care. And so for kids who are interested in learning what that is or need that additional support, we have a multidisciplinary team of mental health professionals and medical professionals and surgeons who can talk you through the various different options. And the first step in all of this is listening to the child, mm -hmm. uh, doing an assessment to understand what is this child's thoughts and feelings, what is this child's needs, how do we help support this kid in understanding themselves better. Tim, what are the common questions or concerns that come up when you have conversations with families? Sure. I think uh, Dr. Jansen addressed uh, a lot of them, but I think 
especially in reference to a lot of this anti-LGBTQ and anti-trans legislation that we've been seeing, you know, surges of, uh, especially recently, uh, a common question or concern is, um, you know, what's going to happen in Illinois in terms of my access to gender-affirming care? Um, and, you know, I think in Illinois, we do have a lot of pro-LGBTQ, pro-trans policies in place. Um, but I think Dr. Jansen mentioned it earlier, that doesn't stop people from feeling a lot of stress and also, you know, mental health distress as a result of these legislative pushes that we're seeing all across the country. That is uh, Tim Wang with Howard Brown Health. Also with us, Dr. Aaron Jansen with Lurie Children's Hospital. And we're talking about how anti-transgender bills and directives from elected officials around the country can actually damage trans youth and spread misinformation. Coming up in a little over five minutes on Reset, uh, two black Chicago musicians will tell us about the other black Chicago musicians who inspired them. So stay tuned for that conversation. Uh, Tim, sticking with you for a moment, as we mentioned, a record number of anti-trans bills were introduced last year. Why have trans lives become this wedge issue in politics? Yeah, so... Um, I think what we're really seeing in Texas is reflective of this latest surge in transgender legislation that you're mentioning, Sasha, um, that has been really exploding in in states all across the country. Most recently, uh, we've seen this legislation be primarily focused on limiting trans youth access to gender affirming care. You've probably also heard a lot about um, bills that would limit trans youth's participation in school sports teams, for example. Um, and I think previously we've actually seen something similar happen multiple times in that we've seen these cycles of surges of anti-LGBTQ legislation um, being pushed because, uh, unfortunately, this still is a critical issue for a lot of voters. Um, so oftentimes politicians will use anti-LGBTQ legislation or directives to really invigorate certain voter bases. Um, and I think you can think historically about, you know, the push against same-sex marriage um, or a few years ago, there was this huge surge of anti-trans, um, quote, bathroom bills um, that were meant to prevent transgender people from using public accommodations. And now we see this kind of reiteration of that topic now more focused on health care, uh, school sports, um, learning about LGBTQ topics in schools. Um, and I think something that is important to emphasize is that each time we see these surges, I think it's a really similar tactic of a lot of fear mongering, a lot of misinformation that's being used to create issues where there aren't actual issues. Mm. Um, so for this most recent surge of anti-trans bills that we're seeing, I think the proponents are trying to generate a lot of fear around the issue of if trans girls play school sports, then all of women's sports will deteriorate, which we know is, is just not the case because trans girls and trans women do play sports now and that's not happened. Um, or with care, it's this, you know, fake issue that gender affirming care is child abuse, which, you know, we talked about is just simply untrue. Um, so, you know, these issues that these anti-transgender bills seek to address are largely fabricated or misrepresented. But the issues that they cause for trans people are very real. And I think that's the problem. Mm. Moving forward, what key advocacy efforts would you focus on, Tim? Definitely. Um, so I think one thing that we have seen, if we just kind of look back at the history, is that, um, you know, something will kind of surge, it'll become really popular, and then it'll kind of die out. And I think a lot of, you know, what's behind that kind of like dying out of that issue or topic, it has a lot to do with elected officials finally seeing how unpopular these bills and actions are. Um, and so I guess it makes sense in kind of a political strategy sense. 
Um, if they're trying to invigorate voters with these actions and instead hear that they are alienating voters, um, they may finally kind of, you know, get the hint and back off. And I think recently we saw that, um, especially with the, the bathroom bills, um, when North Carolina enacted their bill, mm-hmm. um, there is huge backlash in the media. Um, a bunch of businesses, you know, they threatened to stop working in North Carolina. Concerts and sporting events were canceled. Um, and people in North Carolina really made their voices heard that, you know, this is wrong and we don't agree with it. So I one thing that's really important to do, if you do happen to be in a state um, that is considering one of these anti-LGBTQ or anti-trans bills, is to definitely reach out to your elected officials, get all your friends and family to reach out to their elected officials and tell them, you know, the trans people and the LGBTQ people in our state yeah. are people, too. And they deserve the same rights and access to resources as everyone else. And I oppose, you know, this current anti-LGBTQ legislation, and I oppose future anti-LGBTQ legislation. Um, and, you know, instead of wasting time and effort trying to advance unpopular and discriminatory legislation, um, you know, there are a whole host of other pressing issues that yeah. you know, they should be working on. So I think that's something that, that we can definitely reinforce with our elected officials that, you know, we don't stand for any sort of discriminatory legislation. In a survey from the Trevor Project conducted last year, 85% of transgender and or non-binary youth reported that recent debates about these anti-trans bills negatively affected their mental health. Dr. Jansen, for the parents who are listening right now, how can they navigate conversations around gender and sexuality with their kids? Yeah, I mean, the most important thing to recognize is that parents have a tremendous amount of power in shaping outcomes for their kids. And a lot of parents worry about saying the right thing or the wrong thing, but really it's quite simple. If you love your kid and you support your kid, there are going to be pretty good outcomes. And for kids who are LGBTQ in particular, that love and support needs to be explicit and their identities need to be affirmed. And so what that means is you ask questions and you listen. Um, That's the most important thing for for parents to understand about how to have these conversations is to your child, tell me about what you're thinking, tell me about what you're feeling, and help me to understand how this is for you. And for transgender youth in particular, they're getting these messages not just from uh, these legislators who are trying to pass anti-LGBTQ laws, but just from culture, from society, from expectations of what it means to be a boy or a girl. So these kids are getting these messages all the time Mm -hmm. that who they are is somehow different, and different gets read as less than. So we want to build resilience and support in these kids. Yeah, we'll have to leave it there for now. That's Dr. Aaron Jansen with Lurie Children's Hospital. Also, Tim Wang, Director of Policy and Advocacy at Howard Brown Health. Thank you both for your time. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.